want to extend a very uh, warm welcome to everybody this morning and uh, trust that we'll know God's blessing as we seek to worship him and it's very good that wherever you are you're able to join in with us today and we pray that God will will use this technology that is provided for us uh, to the blessing of many souls and the extension of his kingdom. We're going to begin by reading from Psalm 103 and sing Psalms, verses 1 to 7. Praise God, my soul, with all my heart. Let me exalt his holy name. Forget not all his benefits. His praise my soul and song proclaim. The Lord forgives you all your sins and heals your sickness and distress. Your life he rescues from the grave and crowns you in his tenderness. He satisfies your deep desires from his unending stores of good, so that, just like the eagle's strength, your youthful vigour is renewed. The Lord is known for righteous acts and justice to downtrodden ones. To Moses he made known his ways, his mighty deeds to Israel's sons. And so on. May God bless uh, this psalm to our hearts. Uh, let us now bow in prayer. <clears throat> Lord of God, as we gather before you this morning, we give thanks for another day. We give thanks for what this day reminds us of, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, that on the first day of the week that Jesus rose from the dead, and that this very day is tied into the dynamic of Christ's resurrection, and it's a wonderful thought, a wonderful uh, aspect of our Christian life to know that the head of our church, the one whom we love and serve, is risen today, is exalted today at the right hand of the Father in glory and majesty, ruling and reigning. And so we pray that our hearts today will be filled with praise and adoration for our Lord and King, and uh, that uh, that sense of praise might be an integral part of our lives recognizing and realizing that you are worthy of all honor and praise and glory. Indeed, when we go to your word and we read, for instance, in the book of Revelation, it is one of the pictures that is given to us over and over again of the great praise and honor that is given to your great name. So we pray that here on earth, by faith, that we will offer that praise to you and recognize that through this, uh, that you inhabit the praises of your people. What a wonderful thought. We pray that you will bless every single one of us with health and strength and body, mind and soul. We recognise, Lord, our dependence upon you, for it is in you that we live and move and have our being. Our days are fleeting and they're short. And even although, as when we were younger and looked ahead, we seem to have many, many years, but the years have flown by. And when we look out, we know that we don't have so many years. But we pray that however long or however short we have in this world, that we might live them well, and that we might spend our days in a way that is pleasing to you, not living to self, because we're so prone to do that. We're selfish by nature. We're self-interested. Uh, we have egos. We have pride. Uh, it is at the very centre of what we are, and it is just all distorted by sin, and we seek to take glory to ourselves rather than giving glory to you. And so we ask, to, Lord, that you will forgive us. Forgive us what we are. Forgive us what we do. Forgive us, Lord, for what we say. 
Because so often, Lord, our, our thoughts are vanity and our speech is imperfect and our actions are not in keeping with what the actions of those who serve and love the Lord. So we pray that you will forgive us and give us tender consciences before you so that we might walk worthy of the high calling to which we have been called. Bless us then, we pray, and cleanse us from our sin. We pray for that for ourselves individually, and we pray it collectively. We pray to bless us as a congregation, and bless your people wherever they are. Bless your people, whoever, today as they may tune in with us and be, be part of this worship. We pray that you will bless every home, every family, uh, those near and far. We commit them to your care and keeping and ask your blessing upon them, your protective blessing, uh, your uh, blessing of enriching, blessing in every area and aspect of life. We live, Lord, in difficult times, and as we find restrictions coming in upon us again, and uh, that is going to be so difficult in so many different ways, we pray, Lord, that you will watch over us and provide for us in our need. We pray, Lord, for all those who are going through especially difficult times. We pray for those who are seriously ill. Prepare the dying for death. And we pray, Lord, for those who are undergoing treatment, that that might be effective. And we pray, Lord, for those who are uh, housebound at this time, we commit them to your care. Those who maybe feel frightened and vulnerable, uh, due not only to the situation that they're in, but with the added threat of the coronavirus. And we ask, Lord, that a vaccine will soon be found that proves really safe and effective. Lord, our oh God, we, we pray that as uh, the numbers seem to be increasing day by day and uh, the threat of a second wave seems uh, all the more likely, we pray that it might be so that it might not reach that. Although there are times we think that we have to go down a good deal yet because often we feel we have not truly cried to you as a nation, that we seem to be stuck still in our own ways of ignoring you. And we pray that nationally, that there might be a heart that will begin to seek for the living and true God. In some ways we, th we almost see that as impossible, but you are the God of the impossible and that you're able to do in our society just as you have done in previous generations for you have, uh, by your spirit, uh, swept through the nation and turned hearts that were in absolute enmity and hard against you to become, com uh, to become willing and soft before you. O oh Lord, we pray then that you'll be with our leaders and those in authority and ask, Lord, that you'll grant them wisdom from above because we seem to be going from one thing to another. And often there seems to be an element of confusion and misunderstanding and often we just wonder what is happening oh lord grant clarity and, and uh, so that we will know uh, what is happening and so we pray protection on those who are on the front line of all the different services we commit them to you we give thanks for our nhs we give thanks for our carers we give thanks lord for all who have devoted themselves uh, unselfishly uh, over the over this period and indeed over the years and pray that you will bless each and every one of them. Bless those who mourn, Lord. Remember, again, the McLean family where the funeral 
end of last week and remember the Morrison family as well. We commit to your care and keeping and we ask your blessing upon upon all whose hearts are sore and broken. Death is something we never ever get used to and death changes our circumstances within the home and it changes our circumstances within our family circles and amongst our friends. And so Lord we pray that where the hearts are seared and where the pain is sharp, that you would bring comfort and peace. As we come to your word, we pray that that word will prove a source of light and life to us, that it will be a means of blessing, that you will open our eyes to see wonderful things out of your law. Grant us your grace in every situation that we're in. And watch over us and do us good. Be with our young people. We thanks, Lord, for our Sunday school teachers and their commitment to the young people. Pray, Lord, that the work that is given to our young will be a blessing to them, to the parents. And we give thanks, Lord, for all that has been done. So we remember our young people. Remember our young people who are going off to university or have just started and things are so difficult and different uh, to what they were. We remember, Lord, those who have finished work and are now finished universities and colleges and trainings and are looking for work in the most difficult uh, climate and we pray Lord for a young generation uh, that are facing the most amazing and difficult challenges. Lord help them we pray. Uh, watch over us and take away from us our every sin in Jesus name we ask it. Amen. <clears throat> I do. Just a, a, a wee word to, to the young folk. You know one of the most annoying things, it's annoying for everybody concerned is when you either put your hand or your foot in wet cement. I've done both and it's an annoying thing. I remember leaning my hand on a wall that I hadn't known and didn't realize had just been cemented and you go, ah, oh, no. But I remember as a, as a boy, I hadn't realized that just in the, in the evening, the back pavement, when, just when I was a young boy, it had been cemented and I didn't realize that and I had stepped out into it and I went oh and because because I was afraid I was going to get into trouble I did the worst thing possible I didn't tell I didn't let on and of course what happened was that the cement dried and my footprint was left there in fact, my footprint was there for years and years and years until that uh, part of the pavement was broken up and, a, and it was re-cemented. But uh, the thing is that once the cement dries, that's it. The print is there forever or for, for years and years and years. And uh, that, that's why sometimes you'll see on, on a pavement, you'll see the prints of a dog you'll see uh, the, the paw print of a dog because a dog has run along the pavement before it has dried so it's not only annoying for the person who does that it's also very very annoying for the person who has done the cementing and who's made a lovely job smoothing everything over and then comes back and finds that some person has gone and clumped their foot or, their, or even just a dog run you know when you go to a beach you have a fair idea, uh, you don't know actu actually who's there, but you, you have a fair idea whether they're grown-ups 
but whether they're children that are on the beach because you see the footprint in the sand and you can see if it's a big print, you'll say whether it's a grown-up, if it's small prints, you know that it's children. And you sometimes you'll see the dog prints, the paw prints, and sometimes you say, oh, there's been a horse on the beach because you can see the print of the hooves of the horses. Sometimes in the way that sometimes when the sand is very firm, you'll be able to see, oh, I can see that birds were walking there. You can say maybe it's a seagull. Some people are able to work out just what, what kind of prints that are left there. But the thing about the sand is that the water comes in and washes over it all. And that's it cleaned again. So the prints are all gone until the next day. But that doesn't happen with the cement. It's there, it stays there. So that print is left. And it's left for years and years. I've been told that down in England, I can't remember exactly where, but it's a discovery of uh, going back to the Roman times, which was 2,000 years ago, and that there are tiles that were uh, made by the Romans, and that on one of the tiles, if you look closely, you can see the print of a dog, because obviously as this tile was laid out in the sun to dry, a dog ran over it. 2,000 years ago, you can still see the print of the paw on the tiles. It, you see, it lasts. And you know, in a sense, that's very like life. Because we leave behind us not just our footprints and our fingerprints, but we leave behind us a print on people's lives. Because we are either making people happy or sad. We either leave behind us where people might not feel good, we might have hurt people, and when we go away, people don't feel so good. Or when we go away, people feel better having met us. We hope that that's how it would be. But we leave a mark. And often as we go through life, we don't realise just how deep that mark can go. Because sometimes we can hurt people without realising. Sometimes we can hurt people... And this is the worst of it, where we mean to, where we say things that are really nasty. And you know, there's a, there was a rhyme. I used to hear this rhyme when I was wee. And actually, it's true and it's rubbish. It says, sticks and stones will break, may break your bones, but names will never hurt you. Well, names will never break your bones, but you know, they hurt you. And they can hurt you really, really badly because some things can be said that are really hurtful and really cruel. And you know what? It, it doesn't go away. And sometimes you can still remember years and years later some of the horrible things that were said. I know that many people uh, look back years and years later and they remember bullying in school and some of the horrible things that were done to them and some of the horrible things that were said to them. And it's stuck with them. The mark is still there. And so it's important that we that we watch what we what we say, that we're careful with what we say, because it's not only people that we leave the mark with, but we also leave the mark with God. Because God is taking note of every single thing that we say and every single thing that we do, and indeed every single thing that we think. He's taking note of it. And that's why it's so important that we come to Jesus and ask Jesus to forgive us our sin. 
and to cleanse us from all our sins so that he cleanses all the things that we've done wrong just as, he, as the water washes away all the prints in the sand. That Jesus will do that for us. And you know, at the end of the day, if we are trusting in Jesus and if we have lived well in this life doing as Jesus wants us to do, you know what Jesus says? Come, my blessed of, come, blessed of my Father, enter into the joy of the Lord. He says, when I, was a, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was homeless, you took me into your home. And so on. And people say, well, when did we do that? To you. Well, he said, as much as you did it to one of the least of my brethren, the least of my people, you did it to me. So the Lord is taking note. And I would say the important thing is this. If you've done wrong to somebody, if you've said things that are, you know are wrong and are hurtful and are cruel, you know what you should do? Go to that person and say sorry. And go to Jesus and say sorry. And ask that that mark will be wiped clean. Otherwise, it's not a good thing to have. It spoils friendships. It spoils families. And most of all, it spoils a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us now say the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let us read God's word now. In John's Gospel, John chapter 6, and we're going to read from the beginning to verse 24. John chapter 6, reading from the beginning. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him, because they, they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Simon Peter's brother Andrew, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in that place. So the men sat down, about five thousand in number. Jesus then took the loaves and... When he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the disciples saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. 
Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea. And coming near the boat, and they were uh, frightened, but he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. On the next day the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread, after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. Amen, and may God bless to us this reading of his own holy word. And I want us this morning to consider verse 24 of John chapter 6. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. The chapter that we have here uh, highlights for us what would, we would definitely say is the high point of Jesus' popularity in this world. It was a period when the crowd just couldn't get enough of him. And uh, they uh, so wanted him that uh, and they were beginning to so elevate him and they believed he was so special that they actually wanted to take him and to make him a king. But the, the, the amazing thing is that before the second day was out, so many who were one day, the day before, were wanting to make him king had actually turned against him. They began to stop following him. In fact, by the end, the time we come to the end of this chapter, it's telling us in verse 66 there, many of his followers went back and walked no more with him. <laughs> That's extraordinary, isn't it? Isn't that sad? One day the king, next day don't want to know you. One day I will do anything for the, with this man. Next day I'm going somewhere else. And does that not show us just the, the absolute fickleness of human nature? Of how we can just turn on a whim. And we see it all the time. It's happening all the time. One day a person is elevated. Next day they're, a, they're, a, they're put down in the dust as, as a villain. Heroes, villains. Heroes, villains. It's happening all the time. It's happening in the media. It's happening in society. It's happening in our community. And it just shows, just on a whim, all of a sudden people can turn against it. And it's, it's, it's a sad reflection upon, upon the human heart and upon, upon human nature. Uh, and that's why the Bible says, don't put your trust in people. There's warnings right throughout the Bible. Don't put your trust in man. Don't put your trust in woman. Don't put your trust in people. They will let you down. They all have the possibility or they have the potential of really letting you down. And you know, it's one of the saddest things to see 
where you see it sometimes in families, you see it in churches, you see it amongst friends, you see it in communities, you see it in society, you see it in all walks of life, where people who work together got on together and all of a sudden they've fallen out. You know, loyalty is, a, is one, of the, one of the great, great virtues of life. That stickability, when you will stick with people through thick and thin, that it doesn't matter what, what you stick with that person. And that's, that's really what love is about. And that's, that is God's love to us. God's love is the kind of love that has stickability written all over it. There's a loyalty in God that is absolutely phenomenal. His love doesn't give up. And if God was to deal with us in the same way that we deal with one another long ago, he would have washed his hands off us and given up. Because we've let him down so often, we've hurt him so often, we've betrayed him so often, we have done so much against him, and yet he sticks with us. And that love, that loyalty that God has, has been so foundational in many people's lives, particularly as their, 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 their world has, has crashed around them, and all the things that they that they love and are precious and dear to them, that these things have, have fallen. And yet here, here's the wonderful thing, here's the beauty that the Lord continues. The Lord is, is gracious, the Lord is faithful in everything. He, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, as we said, at this particular uh, moment in time, as we begin the chapter here, we find uh, that Jesus has performed this great miracle. Now, it's not the miracle that we're going to look at today, but I want to just say one thing about it before we pass on. Uh, because the feeding of the 5,000, of course, or feeding of the thousands, is one that has caught our attention. And the only thing that I'm going to say about it is this. You remember how there were these thousands of people following Jesus. And they, they were in a place where there was no shops, there was no provision to be made. And there was a great question. Where are they going to get food to eat? Where, where is food to be provided for? And remember how Andrew, Peter's brother, he came to Jesus and he said, well, there's a, there's a boy here and he's got five barley loaves and two fish. But he said, what are they for so many? And we know that Jesus ordered that the people would sit down and he fed them. Remarkable. He fed them, fed them all. And there was plenty left over. And the one thing that I want to highlight is this. In relation to the vast number of people that were there, what that young boy brought was next to nothing. And yet because that young boy gave to Jesus all that he had, Jesus was able to do and to satisfy the thousands who were there. What a lesson to us. Because it's far too often we say, oh, it's only poor me. What can I do for Jesus? Where I am, what I am doing, I'm not in a place, I'm not in a situation. I don't have the gifts, I don't have the abilities, I don't have the talents. You leave that to the Lord. You give yourself. Let me give myself to the Lord completely. Give all that we are and all that we have. You know something? You'll be amazed at what Jesus can do with you and through you. Even although you don't think much of yourself, 
and you don't think that you have many gifts and you don't think you have many abilities, give yourself. Not just give a little bit, but give all of yourself. And the Lord can perform wonders through you and with you, just as he did with what that little boy there brought uh, and, and gave to Jesus. And we've got to remember that Jesus, Jesus uses people in many, many different ways. And sometimes the most effective uh, lives lived for Jesus in this world are lives that are lived not saying a lot, but lived being someone. And you and I know that there are men and women and boys and girls, there are people who have lived for Jesus in this world, and their impact has been huge. They might not have said an awful lot, but their life was a living testimony and witness and was powerful. It spoke to people. There was something about their life that impacted everybody for good. These are people who are being used, who are given entirely uh, to the Lord. Now we read in verse 15 how the crowd were so impressed they wanted to make Jesus king. And it's at this point that Jesus left them. He had to go away. Because the kingdom, God's kingdom, will be will grow in God's way. And Jesus, as king and head of the church, will be king and head of the church in God's way, not the world's way. And that's something that we need to learn. We've always got to, got to remember that the, the, this is the way it is. Anybody can put a human crown on a person's head. A human crown will always just be that, a human crown. The crown that we're to look for is the crown that God gives. And God gives the moment that we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we receive the crown of life. And then in glory, we will receive the crown of glory. The crown of life will give way to the crown of glory. It's not a wonderful prospect. It's an eternal crown. Human crowns are only for a time. And the, the world were wanting to put for a wee while a human crown on Jesus. And Jesus said, no, that's not the way. This is not how it's to be done. And Jesus knew that the only way that he was to get the crown was by the way of the cross. No other way. And there was no other way that we could win the crown of life but by going the way of the cross. Let us remember that. It is the only way that we can get the crown of life is by going the way of the cross. Going in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. And indeed we must also remember that in order to follow Jesus, Jesus said this, if you're to be my disciple, if you're to follow me, what are we to do? We have to take up our cross. We have to deny ourselves and we are to follow him. So Jesus is not going to let them make him king. Of course, Jesus Christ is the greatest king ever. And Jesus Christ in all his glory and in all his majesty and all his kingship is an everlasting king. And yet he laid aside his royalty for us in order to come into this world to be one with us, to represent us and to do for us what we couldn't do ourselves. And of course he is crowned with honour and with glory because he is a great king. Now I'm quite sure that at this point Satan would be whispering in Jesus' ear because Satan was always tempting Jesus. And he would be saying, take the crown. It's a far easier road. You don't want to go the way of the cross. 
the curse, the pain, the sorrow, the shame. You've got the adulation of the people. Take it. Take it. You can all these things will be yours. Just take it. Satan is always trying to get us to compromise and to take another way. To take the easier path. But we notice what Jesus did, that Jesus went out from them. He just, he went away. He wasn't even going to debate it or argue the point with them. And we see now that Jesus has gone from them. And we find that the people now are wanting again to find Jesus. And although their motive, as we discover, may not have been altogether with many of them correct, I want us to focus upon these words which are very special words that we have in verse 24. Because it tells us very simply there that uh, they, they went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. So the question is, who were they seeking? Well, they were seeking Jesus. You see, after Jesus had gone up into the mountain himself, the disciples were still there before they went off in the boat. The, the, the crowd had had an opportunity to speak to the disciples about Jesus, but that no, it wasn't the disciples they were they were wanting. It was Jesus himself. And that's one of the things that we have to come to grasp. That it's not people but Jesus that we need. I remember a, a time way, way back. It's a Saturday night, and I was uh, as I was then very sometimes quite stupid and foolish. And I really got hit all of a sudden where I was. I was with a crowd of folk and all of a sudden I just got hit with this you're a lost soul. And it was one of these awful moments where I felt myself going down, that I was going down into hell as I was. And I got up from where I was and I went out onto the street and I said, I need to see a minister. And I went up the road and I went to the man, said, Mr. McCritchie, the late Reverend Murdo McCritchie was the minister at the time. I knocked the door. He came and I said to him, he said, come on in. And he was so nice with me and he sat with me. And I somehow thought that a minister, even although I grew up in a manse, my father was a minister, and although I knew the way of salvation, I knew all these things, I somehow thought a minister would release me from, deliver me from the sense of going down into hell and that everything would be all right. And all he could do, and the right thing that he did, he pointed me to Jesus, pointed me to Jesus as a light, as a door, as a way of salvation, as the only hope. And he prayed with me and I went away. But you know, that feeling that I had didn't last that long. But there came a day when it wasn't even a minister that I needed. But I needed the man, the Christ Jesus. I needed the one that Mr. McCritchie had been pointing to me all that time ago. I needed Jesus himself. And you know, that's that's a big difference. That there, there comes a time when it's not other people, and however helpful they may be, and however necessary at times. But you have to learn that lesson, that you have to go all the way to Jesus. And that's what I will say here. Even although the motive might have been wrong, they wanted Jesus. Not the disciples, but Jesus. And that's important. And let me also say that 
a needy soul, a soul that discovers their need, will always seek Jesus. If you find somebody who's truly seeking Jesus, that person has a need, has a sense of need. You won't find somebody seeking who has no sense of their need, of their lostness, of their need of salvation. They won't be seeking. Today there are many people who are not seeking Jesus because they have no sense of their need of salvation. I'm not going to say they have no need of salvation. They do. It's just that they have no sense of their need of salvation. Big difference. Many people live just for this world, for what the world will give them and for for what the world will offer them. And there are many people today who are satisfied right now with what the world is giving. But that satisfaction won't last because ultimately the world has a zero for our souls. The world has zero for our time of dying in it. The world does not equip you for death and for what follows. So don't live all your days living simply for this world, for what it gives you. Because whatever it gives you, it takes everything back and strips you of everything. Only Jesus will give you the fulfillment and give you that which death itself cannot take away. As a Christian, you will die happy. Although you have to go through all the process of death and all the difficulties that death brings. Nobody looks forward or wants that. But we will have Jesus and death, which makes a, makes a world of difference. But that's what the Lord does. He brings us to see the emptiness of this world. But he also brings us to see the fulfillment that is in him and to see that he is the one who will satisfy us like nobody else can. But you'll also notice it's very interesting how providence often helps in the helps in the search for Christ. Because when the people had discovered that Jesus wasn't there and that he was away on the other side, they said, we've got to get over to the other side. And verse 23 shows us that boats had just come from Tiberias. And uh, so all the people just got into these little boats and they headed back across over over the water. Just when they needed, a way opened up. And you know, that is so often the case uh, in our experience as well. Because very often the seeking soul, just at that point where they're really, really needing something, the, the Lord will provide someone or something. And maybe, now I said before that I went to the minister because I was needy, but that was a fleeting moment. Sadly, that moment passed in my experience. But when there is a real work going on, it's amazing how often the Lord will provide just what you need. And he puts somebody in your way who will, who will really open up things for you. Or will give you a, maybe a pre-recorded sermon or give you a book or give you something that, that, that really throws light upon where you are. Just like, remember of Philip, the Holy Spirit influenced Spirit, the, Philip to go out to the wilderness. And he had no idea, why am I going here? But remember the Ethiopian who was traveling through and he was reading the scriptures and he was reading from Isaiah and he couldn't understand what he was reading and he was wanting to understand it. And the chariot where he was in stopped where Philip was. Philip got up in and explained everything to him. And the light broke in on this Ethiopian's 
heart and he understood and he believed and he accepted. God so often does that in our experience. Brings in his providence. Grace and providence come together. Although there are periods when there's opposition, when Satan gets involved and tries to tries to interrupt and to, to stop somebody who wants to see Jesus actually seeing Jesus. But a seeking soul will always be where Jesus is to be found. If a person says, oh, I'm really seeking the Lord, and doesn't pray, doesn't often open their Bible, doesn't listen to sermons, doesn't watch sermons, doesn't go to church when church is available, you say to yourself, no, no, that's a contradiction. A seeking soul will seek Jesus where Jesus is to be found. Jesus will be found in his word, amongst his people, in the church, in sermons, on these places, in, in good books and in the Bible. You will be where Jesus is to be found. And again, seeking Jesus requires effort. You know, some people have this philosophy and they say, well, you know this, if I'm going to be saved, I'll be saved anybody anyway. And there's nothing really I can do about it. You have to show me where in Scripture it says that. At no point does it say in Scripture, in order to be saved, do nothing. Always attached is the word seeking, searching, striving, asking, knocking, calling, crying, doing words. Doing, doing, yeah. Yes, the doing has been done in making the salvation possible. But our duty is to seek and to search and to call. And the wonderful thing is, for you and for me, if you today are seeking the Lord, you don't have to get into a boat and cross to the other side in order to find Jesus. Jesus is just a prayer away. Jesus is here today, wherever you are, watching this, listening to this. Jesus is present. And all you have to do is ask him. Ask him into your heart. In the quietness of your own heart, just say, Lord, will you come in and be king and lord of my heart, please? And we, we see that in this, as in this chapter, if we carried on, Jesus says that he is the bread of life. In other words, Jesus is everything that we need for life. Bread is an absolute necessity in many parts of this world. It's not a luxury, it's a necessity. And right throughout this world there are people who are living and they're depending purely on bread. Bread for life. Jesus is an absolute necessity for life. That is one of the reasons why he calls himself the bread of life. But you know, it's not enough to know that there's bread there. You have to actually go and take it. There could be, uh, you're somewhere in this world and people are starving and all of a sudden there's news bread has arrived. Wonderful news. Well, it's not enough just to know that bread has arrived. That's not going to help you starving. You have to go and get it and take it. And so it is with the gospel. It's not enough to know that Jesus is saved. Not enough to know that Jesus saves. Important than all of that is, you actually have to go and take Jesus and ask Jesus to come into your heart to receive Jesus. And the wonderful thing is that this bread is free. It's not great. You don't have to pay anything for it. It's, as already, it's given to you. All you have to do is receive. 
because the price has already been paid for. And this bread is available 24-7. The gospel door is always open. Right now it's open. Remember what it says, yet there is room. Room for you today. One day the gospel door will be closed, but right now it isn't. One day the day of opportunity will be gone. Jesus shows us very clearly that one day the bridegroom will return and he will take all those who are waiting for him, he will take them to be with him and then the door will be closed and the opportunity will be no more. But today that door is open and yet there's room, room for you. So I would urge you that even today that you will say to Jesus, Lord, I want you. I don't, there's lots of things I don't understand, but the one thing I do know, I need you for my life. Will you come into my heart? Ask him that you will receive him even today. Lord, bless us. Bless your word to our souls. Do us good. Continue with us throughout this day, deep throughout this weekend, all the days of our life, for giving us our sin in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to conclude singing from Psalm 145, the second version of the psalm. Psalm 145, second version from verse 8. The Lord our God is gracious, compassionate is he also. In mercy he is plenteous, but unto wrath and anger slow. Good unto all men is the Lord, o'er all his works his mercy is. Thy works all praise to thee afford, thy saints, O Lord. Thy name will bless. The glory of thy kingdom show, shall they and of thy power tell, that so men's sons his deeds may know, this kingdom's grace that doth excel. Thy kingdom hath none end at all, doth through ages all remain. The Lord upholdeth all that fall, the cast down raiseth up again. We'll sing these verses of Psalm 145, the Scottish Psalter, and the second version. The Lord our God
Now may the grace, mercy and peace of God the Father, Son and Holy Spirit rest and abide upon each one of you now and forevermore. Amen.